remain standing just for a bit longer, I would invite you to do so. If not, that's okay, you can be seated. Either way, I would invite you to take a Bible and turn to James chapter 5. This morning I want to begin reading at verse 7. And while our message this morning will primarily just be out of verses 7, 8, and 9, I'm going to read down through verse 11. And hopefully we'll pick those verses up uh, next week. Thank you guys for helping us to sing. Thank you for teaching us the, the new song. Grateful for even God's providential timing um, that uh, you would have thought that we had intentionally planned that song to be from uh, on this day that we be at, that we're in this text of scripture but God works these things out for us this is God's word for us this morning James chapter 5 beginning at verse 7 here's what God says be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You may be seated. This morning, there's two points I want to make, and yet I'm just going to give you a heads up. The, the points that I'm going to make are relatively brief. Well, I, I say relatively because we all have different definitions of how that works itself out, but what's brief to me is forever for you. But, um, but, I, but I, I mentioned that because this morning, I, I want to spend um, probably at least half of our time uh, uh, just uh, by way of introduction. And, and then the second half of our time, I'll touch on the two points that you'll find there in your bulletin. The first thing I want to point out by way of introduction is there is, there is a clear directive. There is a clear order here from our Lord that James writes to us. Uh, and that order is that of patience, to be patient, to patiently wait Back to notice there, he mentions twice in verse 7, and then in verse 8, he says in verse 7, right out of the starting blocks, be patient therefore, and then in reference to the farmer as, as an illustration, he says being patient, and then in verse 8, you also be patient, and then uh, while we won't touch on these verses this morning, uh, he'll use the word patience again in verse 10, uh, that the, uh, um, uh, the prophets were an example of patience. And then also in verse 11, he introduces a new word, steadfastness, which is listed twice, but, but is really a cousin uh, of the word patience. 
in which he circles back around from chapter 1, where he mentions steadfastness there. And so between the words patience and steadfastness, you get kind of the vibe of what we're being ordered to do here from these verses this morning. We are to be people whose lives are characterized as patience and steadfastness in our waiting we are to wait with patience and steadfastness. Well, that begs the question, well, what are we waiting for? Well, in addition to the directives that are mentioned multiple times, that of patience and steadfastness, he mentions what we're waiting for multiple times. We are waiting for the return of Jesus. He says there in verse 7, be patient, there, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. There in verse 7. And then in verse 8, uh, he, he um, mentions the, the, in verse 9, rather, um, uh, the coming of the Lord in verse 9. And then also in verse 9, where he says that the, the judge is standing at the door. Well, that's another reference to the coming of the Lord. And so three times here in these three verses, we are told to not only be patient, but we're told what we're to patiently wait for. We're to wait for the arrival, the coming of the Lord. Now, now putting that orientation and uh, in, in, in coupling it with the directive, the directive being to patiently wait and the orientation being to, um, that is, we're waiting for the Lord. The gist of what's percolating in these verses is that James is telling us what we are to do in light of the return of the Lord. Jesus is coming again. And it's imperative that we grasp, if we grasp that he is coming again, it's imperative that we grasp, well, what are we to be about? What are we to do? What, what, how are we to live our lives? And in particular, even the flavor of these verses, how are we to relate to each other in light of the return of Christ? We are to patiently wait And yet that doesn't preclude the fact that there are some things that we are to do while we patiently wait. Now, another thing I would throw in just by way of introduction is uh, we jumped out of James last week. We were in James two weeks ago, and so that for all practical purposes, we've done forgot what, we, what has preceded uh, this call to be patient in the preceding verses, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he was describing uh, people who were wealthy but had used their wealth wrongly. In a sense, they were a particular kind of wealthy people. They were an evil, wicked wealthy people. And in particular, one of the ways that proved that, that they were evil is that they oppressed the poor which in that case probably meant the bulk of the Christians. And so the call to patiently wait for the return of the Lord is given to us in the context of 
there were people who were oppressing the Christians. What were the Christians to do while they were being wrongly oppressed by people who were using the muscle of their wealth to oppress them? It is in that context that what Peter, I mean, what James advises, directs us to do is to wait, patiently wait. I would add probably what's driving this particular directive to patiently wait while they were arguably being oppressed by the wealthy is honestly there was probably in that day and age nothing that nothing that could be done. There was probably not a, a legitimate legal system that, that a poor person could have ad, had advocate for them. I mean, good luck with that. You're just on your own. And, and so what do you do? Do you take matters into your own hands? Do you write the account right there on the spot? Do you, do you, do you uh, execute the path of vengeance and retaliation? They've wronged you, and it's payback time. Burn it down. Well, that's not exactly uh, the directive that we're given. It's in that context of oppression that the, 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 that the directive there is to wait for Jesus to come. He sees what's happening. And he's going to take care of things. And in the meantime, until he gets here and takes care of things, you just wait. Patiently. Now, the other thing I would clarify for us, and I think this illustration of the farmer here is really helpful because it gives, um, I think, a broader dimension or understanding of what does patiently waiting consist of. Well, it's a lot like a farmer. And the helpful illustration there is patiently waiting is not just resignation. Patiently waiting is not the same thing as absolute passivity. No, patiently waiting is a hope-filled expectancy that energizes us to do what we can and should do and, 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 and not, yet not fret over what we are incapable or unable to do. There's a lot of work for a farmer to do. And yet there's a lot that a farmer has no control over. And in particular here, the, the farmer has to wait for the early and the late rains. The farmer can't do anything about the timing or the amount or the lack thereof of early and late rains. So what does the farmer do? The farmer just goes down to the coffee shop and hangs out all day. No, the, the farmer has to get up early and the farmer has to go prepare the soil. 
The soil won't prepare itself. The, the farmer has to sow the seed. The, the seed won't jump into the ground by itself. The, the farmer has to keep an eye on the, the, on the crop as it's starting to emerge from the ground. And anything that doesn't look like the crop, that looks like weeds, the farmer has to go in there and attend to those weeds. The weeds won't disappear by themselves. The, the, the farmer, uh, as he keeps an eye on his field every day, looks for vermin, insects, animals that, that, that might try to devour his crop. And so he will make provisions to get rid of the vermin and the insects and the animals that would take care of his crop. And the farmer doesn't just at the end of the season say, wow, miraculously, my grain kind of automatically just kind of jumped over to the co-op storage. No, the farmer has to harvest. There's a lot that a farmer can do. There's a lot that a farmer has to do. The farmer doesn't prepare the soil and sow the seed and and weed the field and uh, protect it from vermin and harvest the crop, then the farmer is not going to have anything. And yet the farmer can do every single one of those things. He could dot every, he could check every box, if you would, and if it doesn't rain, or if it rains too much, or if it rains at the wrong time, what's a farmer to do with the status of the rain? Patiently Wait. What are we to do before the Lord comes? What are we to do when there are accounts that have not been made right? That people have wronged us? That people have done us bad? And, and there's no way that we could rectify that on our own here right now. What should we do about that? Wait. Patiently wait. Now, along the way, as we're waiting, this is where we walk in a dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we're waiting and and we see instructions for us in his word, then we don't wait to obey those commands. We obey those commands. And, and yet, just like analogous to the farmer and the rains, uh, it, there, are, there are things in our lives that we have no control over. There's no scripture that, that tells us uh, how to handle a situation because the, the, the choice is in the hands of another person. You might have attempted to make a a relationship right, and the other person is not wanting that relationship to be made right. What are you going to do about that? Have you done what you could do? If you have, then you've obeyed the scripture, and what do you do in the meantime? You wait patiently. You could pray. But see, there's the things that are out of our, and this, this is where it's, it's, it's a call of wisdom. It's just like, Lord, so do you, is there something you want me to do in this situation? If so, show me in your word what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, but, but I also know that, there, that you put things in front of me that I have no control over the outcome concerning. And so in those things, you've told me to wait, to patiently wait. And it may take till Jesus comes before the situation gets rectified or resolved. When Jesus comes, he will take care of the matters. 
But here in these verses, there are at least two things. I wouldn't suggest these are the only two things, but these are the two things that James explicitly mentions here. And so I'm right on schedule. I'm about halfway done, and now I'm finally to the first of the two points, which is good so, so far. Before, it's just as I've planned. So sometimes it belly flops and it doesn't work out this way. But there are two things that James tells us to do as or while we are patiently waiting for the return of our Lord. The first thing he says there uh, in verse 8, says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now that phrase there, establish your hearts, is, is a wonderfully rich phrase. It's used in lots of other places in the New Testament, uh, either exactly like this or pretty similar, so it's really the same kind of thing going on here. And this is the positive thing that we are to do. This is the thing that we are encouraged to participate in. And that is, we are to strengthen our hearts. That is, to fortify ourselves. In other words, what James is saying here in this passage is that we have a level of responsibility in our lives to make sure that we have placed ourselves in the right context that our hearts are strengthened or fortified or that while we are patiently waiting, we are able to stand firm in that patiently waiting. We're not to be tossed to and fro by every wind, but we are to be able to stand while we wait. What's intriguing about this is while James puts the onus on each of us as individuals to make sure that we are strengthening our hearts, that we are fortifying our souls, that we are standing firm as we wait, Paul would frame it in not a contradictory way, but in a complementary way. And, and he would say that it is the Lord who strengthens our hearts. So, so, do you, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a complexity being built here. James says you, you, meaning speaking to each of us, we, we must take a sense of ownership to ensure that we are doing what is wise and good for us to do, to have hearts that are strengthened while we patiently wait for the Lord to return to settle the accounts. And yet Paul would say, for instance, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, that it is the Lord who establishes our hearts, who strengthens our hearts, in other words. He would say also in Thessalonians, but this case in 2 Thessalonians, so 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, that he says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you, which is really the same sense of he will strengthen you. So which one is it? Are we to strengthen our hearts 
Or is it the Lord who strengthens our hearts? Which one is it? Yes. Yeah. Now, but let me add another twist here. But, but wait, we're not done. So while James says we are to strengthen our hearts, we are to do that which uh, is, is do, doable within our grasp, within our reach, uh, to avail ourselves of the means by which our hearts could be strengthened, knowing that on the one hand, it is only God who can strengthen hearts. And yet the other thing that is added here is that God who strengthens hearts uses other people in our lives to strengthen our hearts. So for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you uh, to establish you in the faith, to strengthen your heart in the faith, to strengthen you. So, so we're to strengthen our hearts. Only God can strengthen our hearts, and God sends other people into our lives to strengthen our hearts. So which one is it? Do we strengthen our hearts? Does God strengthen our hearts? Or does God use other people to strengthen our hearts? Yeah, see, these are not, in, these are not contradictory arrangements here. While we patiently wait for the Lord to return, there is nonetheless work that we are to actively do. We must have a personal sense of responsibility that we are strengthening our hearts in the Lord, knowing that it is the Lord who strengthens our hearts, knowing that the Lord places other people in our lives to, to aid and to assist us in the work of having hearts made strong. So none of us can can do a cop-out here. Uh, we, We can't say, well, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to do it. I know that's what James tells me to do, but there's nobody around here to help me do it. Have you, have you seen these people before? Do they look like somebody who's going to strengthen your heart? Uh, we, 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 can't, we can't do a cop-out like that. We just have to trust that God has placed us in the very context he has placed us in, that while he calls us to strengthen our hearts, he himself strengthens our hearts for us by placing people into our lives for the purpose and the outcome of having hearts that are made strong. And so there is a relational dynamic here. It, it really helps define. So, so what's church kind of to be, to be about in between now and when the Lord returns? James answers that question in a very practical, earthy way. James doesn't um, uh, scrape the monkey way. And he says, now, hey, the Lord's returning. So uh, let's get a study group together and uh, let's get our charts out. And let's figure out the timing of the Lord's return. And, 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 and we're, I mean, we're going to know something that Jesus doesn't even know, because he tells us in Mark 13, he doesn't even know the hour that he's returning. But that's because we got some inside stuff. We can figure this thing out. And so when churches uh, sometimes think about the return of Christ, they go to seed uh, with an obsession uh, uh, about uh, details and facets that are undecipherable. It becomes a hobby. Uh, it, it, and, and what it does is it anesthetizes us to do that which we're supposed to do in, before he does return. We don't know when he's returning, but we know one thing for sure. We're 100% confident of this. He is returning. You say, well, how are, you, how are you so confident? He said he was. 
the one who is incapable of a lie, the one who is true in everything he says, uh, has promised he will return. So we can count on that. And in the meantime, we don't get fixated on things that we can't figure out. What we do is we look around and we say, you know what, it's, it's probably hard, hard for some of us to patiently wait. And so what can I do to build encouragement and strength into my brothers' and sisters' hearts? What can I do to build them up? What can I do to solidify them so that they're able to stand firm? How could I be used by the Lord uh, who solidifies souls, to fortify souls, to do that work that it, which, is con, which is congruent with what the Lord does. He builds hearts up and he solidifies souls. And so how can the Lord use me to speak a kind word or a fitting word or, um, or, to, or to, to, to do an act of service so that the end result of those words and those deeds are, are that other people's hearts are fortified and solidified and strengthened. That's what we're to do before the Lord comes. We're to patiently wait and yet we're to help each other to, in that process of patiently waiting by strengthening each other's souls and hearts. So how do, we, how do we practically do that? How do we strengthen each other? How do we strengthen ourselves? How does the Lord strengthen us while we patiently wait? Well, we could look outside of this passage, nothing wrong with that, but just this passage itself, as sure as it thrice has told us to patiently wait in verses 7, 8, and 9, it it thrice tells us that the Lord is returning. And so the first thing that we could practically do to solidify our hearts and to strengthen our hearts is that we can remind each other that the Lord is returning. It was a, it was a, a wonderful providence of God. Uh, I know I'm not smart enough. None of us are smart enough to kind of plan this thing out, but so many of the songs even that we sang this morning were just a practical means of rehearsing that the Lord is returning, that the Lord has not forgotten us, that the Lord is with us, and when he is ready, he will come and collect us. It's good that we sing these songs to each other. That is a way that we can minister to each other. As Freddie mentioned earlier at the call to worship, sometimes we show up in this room and we're not quite ready to, to give praise to, to the Lord yet. Our hearts aren't there yet. And, and, and that's where I don't think we understand the implication of if, if you've gathered here in this room and you're not ready yet, then let, let us help you get ready. Let us begin to voice these words of praise to God and, and let us rehearse out loud these wonderful truths. Let us remind each other of the Lord's love and the Lord's return for us. And, and it is through that vehicle of ministering in song to each other that we strengthen hearts, that while we patiently wait, the Lord uses our voices and our songs to each other to give strength and aid to our souls, to fortify us in the return of the Lord. But there's a second thing, and it's really the flip of this one, I suppose. It's the negative thing. So the first one is what we are to do. We are to strengthen our souls, uh, watch the Lord strengthen our souls, and we are to work in each other's lives to strengthen each other's souls. But then he says here uh, in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, 
the judge is standing at the door. Now, that's an interesting wording there. Don't grumble against each other. When I think of grumbling, I just think of whining and complaining, and usually I'm doing it against no one in particular. I'm just, I, I, may, I may be doing it about somebody, but I'm not really grumbling against, I'm against somebody. Usually our grumbling is directed toward the Lord, and it's usually about somebody. But, but that's not the, the way he's framed it here. In this case, he's not talking about a grumbling to the Lord about circumstances or about other people. He's, he's talking about grumbling against other people. I think that the best way to grasp that is, a, is that the grumbling here that's being described is, a, is, a, is a using words to fight and attack each other. You might say name-calling, speaking ill, not only of somebody, but speaking ill to somebody. Or it, what's implied here as well is the nature of these fights and attacks uh, is, is that which is, a, uh, is, is being deployed to condemn others. I think that's what he's parsing out with the notion of uh, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Don't judge your brother. Don't condemn your brother, judge in that sense. Um, uh, there is a place in the scriptures for us to admonish and to even confront each other, but that's not done with a grumbling against. That's done with a loving, patient, kind, gentle approach. No, he, he's talking about that, that while we are waiting, and perhaps it's even the pressure. Have you ever lashed out at somebody? Uh, and, and it wasn't really that somebody, but that somebody was just happened to be there at the time to, to, to be the, uh, the one who absorbed your, your, your misery or your unhappiness. I mean, here, they're, they're in the context, the rich, the, uh, these wicked rich people are oppressing many of the people, and they're waiting for this thing to get settled, and, and they're going to have to wait for the Lord to return for this to get settled. And after a while, that sort of weighs on you and grates on you, and after a while, you, you start to get you start to feel crummy, and, and then whoever is the closest around, they're not even the ones that oppressed you. But you will grumble against them. You will, you will somehow think in your mind that, well, I'm miserable, and if, if, I, if I attempt to make somebody else miserable, at least I'll, I'll, I'll find some miserable comfort in that. I don't think that works, by the way. So you go ahead, try it, and let me know uh, if it's a lasting uh, strategy of, of effective therapy or not. I doubt that it is. Uh, but we all, we've all tried that. A lot of times we bring it home to our spouses or we bring it home to our kids. We had a bad day here or there or someplace else and, and, and then the little, you get home and your little kid uh, tilts his head sideways and you just, you just explode. And that little kid tilting his head sideways didn't solicit that, but you were already in a foul mood to begin with. So you grumbled against someone that you are to love and care for deeply. 
That's what James is warning us against there. And, and in, in that context, he, he's re, in a strange way, he's reminding us that the Lord is near. He's reminding us that the Lord is coming. But in the context of it, but it's going to remind you that if you keep grumbling against each other, not only is the Lord coming, but guess who the Lord is? The Lord is the one who will judge every idle, ungodly word. While the overall thrust of this passage is meant to encourage us and strengthen us as we wait for the return of the Lord, it's also a word here to sober us. That when the Lord returns, he will write every account. And what that purses down into that if you've been attacking others, then there's some accounts that pertain to you that will need to be righted as well. He will come and bring salvation, but he will also come and bring judgment. Hebrews chapter nine, and I'll close with this, says it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. And so as James reminds us that when the Lord comes, the Lord also will come as judge. And yet the writer of Hebrews reminds us that as the Lord comes and he comes in judgment, so Christ, having been offered once uh, to bear the sins of many, and appears a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. When the Lord comes, that will be good news for many of us. I hope and pray that it is good news for all of us. But any and all who have not turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has lived a perfect life, the one who has died as a perfect sacrifice, the one whom God has raised from the dead, the one who is at the Father's right hand, nevertheless, that one, when he returns, he will provide salvation for those who eagerly await his coming, but he will also provide judgment for those who have not come to grips with who he is and what he has done prior to his coming. And we close, therefore, and say this, when the Lord returns, he will come as judge. And so this day is the day that you discover him to be not your judge, but to discover him as your savior, the one who has taken your judgment upon himself and bore up under the curse, the judgment, the condemnation of our sin. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him today. We don't know when he will return, but for all who eagerly await his returning, he provides full and final salvation. Father, Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his saving work on our behalf.
We thank you for this word to, to instruct us to wait for the return. And Father, while we wait, may we honor you by hearts that are being strengthened. May we not dishonor you uh, by grumbling against each other and fighting. No, Father, may we serve you with gladness. May we love each other well. May we honor you and therefore hear your words when you return. Well done, good and faithful servant. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's